Hey, grab a Bible, uh, turn on your Bible, or follow along in your outline. Um, 1 Kings chapter 9, 19, can you just flip these lights on for me, um, is where we're going today. Um, we are in our final week um, of our Planks and Specs series. Um, last week was Easter, and we talked about doubt and disbelief, and we're going to dive into that a little bit more and talk about that today, because here's what's crazy. Um, we've been in this entire series um, about do not judge. And, and the other day, um, I was told um, that we shouldn't talk about some of the things that we talk about here at Central. Like this person, like they, don't, they don't go to church here, so don't look around and don't wonder who it was, and I'm not going to tell you who it was. Um, but they were, they were critical of us um, for not having a Good Friday service and for having um, the egg drop, which they called a super spreader event. And, um, and it was. It was super freaking awesome. That's what it was. That's what the, like, how many of you like, went to that thing? Wasn't it incredible? And so, um, so I'm super excited about that egg drop and what happened with that and everything. And, and I want to say thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you. If you helped out in any way to make that happen, whether it be the day of the event or behind the scenes and prayer or financially, whatever, that thing was was awesome. I told Jesus it has to be like that all the time. It has to be that perfect, beautiful day, like all of that. So, so anyway, they were talking about that and, and being critical about those things. And, and then they said, you need to be, you need to be teaching um, church history and tradition. And, and they went off for a few minutes, and, and, and I like listened to them. And then he said, you know, I've been listening to your messages, which <laughs> I always think is funny. Like, sweet. I ain't listening to yours, but, um, but cool. Like, hopefully you got some good stuff. Um, but like, I've been listening to your messages, and you talked about suicide. And well, you know, there are certain things that should never be talked about in the church. Now, listen, I, I sat there, and I listened to him, and, and I didn't get mad, and I didn't argue, and, and I really, in the moment, like, didn't, didn't judge. I just said, hey, I appreciate your feedback, and I walked away. But I started thinking, you know what? Like, that's sort of the mentality of the church world everywhere, that there's certain things that you don't talk about. Hey, there's stuff you're not supposed to talk about in the church. And what's sad is we don't talk about the things that we're all dealing with every single day throughout the week. And I think that's a problem. Because, see, we want to come to church and we want a history lesson or we want a language lesson. Pastor, you need to talk about more Greek and Hebrew words. We want to be impressed we want some sort of knowledge to leave out of here with. We don't want to take things and apply them to our lives Monday through Saturday. We just want to come in here and we want to walk out of here feeling better about ourselves and maybe a little bit smarter. But here's my thing. People are dealing with stuff, like major stuff, like anxiety and depression and worry and addiction and sexual immorality and doubt and fear and financial problems and marriage problems and all of this stuff. But we don't want to talk about it in church because, see, when you talk about it in church, it gets real. It becomes real issues and real problems, and church shouldn't be a place where we talk about problems. Church shouldn't be a place where we get real. Church should be a place where we come in and we pretend that everything is fine and everything is great, and we put on a smile and have a song in our heart, and we leave, and everything stays the same. See, I don't think it should be like that. Because, see, when I read the Bible, what I, what I love about the Bible is how real the Scriptures are. And how God, through the scriptures, speaks to our life situations. Every single life situation that we have is spoke about in the Bible. And so I'm going to talk about some stuff today. And then in, I don't know, end of summer, June, July, um, early fall, um, we're going to do an entire series on this stuff. And here's why. In, in 1 Kings, in 1 Kings chapter 19, there's a guy named Elijah. Now, Elijah 
is awesome. He is like a legit Bible hero. He's about as popular in the Bible, especially in the Old Testament, as any prophet who's ever lived. Um, we first meet him in, in chapter 17. Um, and in 1 Kings chapter 17, I'll, I'll give you kind of the summary of what's happening um, from 17 up until 19. God tells Elijah, he's like, hey, it's not going to rain in the nation of Israel for the next several years until you say it's going to rain. Now, that's pretty powerful because the entire nation of Israel was an agricultural economy. So basically, Elijah had control over the entire economic situation in Israel. That's a big deal. And because if he didn't pray for rain, then there was going to be a drought. And if there was going to be a drought, people were going to begin to starve. And if people were going to begin to starve, then people were going to die. And so for the next three years, there was a drought. By the way, how many of you know that God will sometimes let you go through a drought to get your attention? How many of you know that? I think all of us know that. And so Elijah has these situations that come up in 1 Kings 17 that added some pressure to his life. And then in 1 Kings 18, God says, hey, you, know, you need to go and you need to face the king. Now the king's name was Ahab. And the only problem with facing the king is the king knew everything that was going on with Elijah, knew that it was because of him that it wasn't raining, knew that the drought was happening because of him, knew that people were starving because of him, and knew that his people were dying because of Elijah, and so the king wanted to kill him. Now, I don't know if you've ever had to step into a conflict situation that's really, really, really intense, but when you go and meet somebody that wants to kill you, a little bit of pressure there, yes or no? Yes, just a, just a little bit. See, we think that people in the Bible didn't feel any pressure. We think people in the Bible, it was always rainbows and puppy dogs and snickers and hugs. And, and, but, but they felt pressure. They felt pressure. Elijah felt pressure because he's a human being, just like we're human beings. And this is a great big deal for him to have to go stand in front of the guy that wants to kill him. And so he gets in front of the king, and they keep going back and forth on some different stuff. And Elijah finally says, hey, listen, let's, let's just settle this once, once and for all. You get all of your prophets together, which is a big deal because they, they worship Baal and Asherah, and there were 450 prophets of Baal and 400 prophets of Asherah. He said, they can build an altar, and I'll build an altar. And so 850 to 1, right? Not even Jackie Chan is fighting his way out of this. Like, it's, it's crazy. And Elijah says, hey, we're going to see who can light the altar. You see if your God can light the altar, and they go through this whole great big thing. And the Bible says that 850 prophets of Baal and Asherah they, they start dancing around the altar, and nothing happens. And so finally, Elijah is like, all right, boys, let me show you how it's done, because maybe your God is sleeping or in the bathroom. Like, legitimately, it says that in the Bible. Maybe your God is sleeping or he's on the toilet. It's, it's, it's incredible. It's awesome. That's in the Bible. If you think the Bible does anything cool and fun, that's it. Here's the prophet Elijah talking smack. It's so cool. That's why I love him so much. And so he's like, maybe he's in the bathroom. And so he prays this prayer. And it's a really, really, really simple prayer. Not very long, but he prays it, and fire comes from heaven and lights up the altar. Now, if I could choose a Bible superpower, calling down fire would be in my top three. Right? How awesome would that be? I think it would get me in trouble because somebody cuts me off in traffic. like Or coupon lady. Remember I told you about coupon lady a few weeks ago? I'm not sure how many of these go towards my groceries. Shoom, none of them! Right there in Walmart, just blow her up. That'd be a pretty awesome gift. I mean, I know like how accomplished some people are in their walk with God, but I personally don't know anyone that's ever called down fire from heaven. So can we all agree that calling down fire from heaven makes you a spiritual, super spiritual person? Can we agree on that? I, I think so. But don't miss this. 
if it hasn't rained in three years, what's the last thing you want falling from heaven? Fire, right? You need what? You, you need rain. And so after he calls down fire, he goes and he prays for rain, and rain falls, and the drought is ended, and the famine is over. Everything is great. From the outside looking in, if you're just standing there looking at Elijah, you're like, man, this guy has it all together. Like, God has shown him immense favor. He's like one of God's favorites. He is awesome. God feeds him. God takes care of him. God provides all of his needs. Like, he makes fire fall from heaven. This dude can make it rain. This guy is the most spiritually incredible person who has ever walked the face of the planet. But isn't it funny how sometimes we can seem to have it all together on the outside, but be dying on the inside? That's what happens to him. I want to show you this. In 1 Kings 19, verse 1, now Ahab told Jezebel, and that's his wife, and you've probably heard stories of Jezebel before. Ahab told Jezebel everything Elijah had done and how he had killed all the prophets with the sword. So Jezebel sent a messenger to Elijah to say, may the gods deal with me, be it ever so severely. By the way, don't ever say that to God. <laughs> Like, this is not something you ever, you ever want to say. May the gods deal with me, be it ever so severely, if by this time tomorrow I do not make your life like that of one of them. Now, if you're Elijah, is this a big deal, yes or no? Well, yes and no. Because I'm thinking, like, if I'm Elijah, pfft, all right, girl, come on. Let's go, Jezebel. Drag your butt out of the palace. I'll just call down fire from heaven. Come on out. I will light you up. You know what I'm saying? It's kind of like the scene from the Eddie Murphy movie, The Nutty Professor. Come on over, Cletus. Come on. Let's go, Cletus. You're going to walk over. You're going to limp back. <laughs> I love that movie. Walk over, limp back. You wouldn't think this is a big deal because dude had just faced 850 prophets, 450 prophets of Baal, 400 prophets of Asherah. He had just called down fire from heaven, and all of a sudden you've got a woman, and she threatens him because hell hath no fury like a woman scorned, right? And so that's crazy. And, and here's what's really crazy about the entire story of Elijah. This is the first time that fear is introduced into this story. He's dealt with pressure. He's dealt with all of these things. But this is the first time that we see fear. And fear has the ability to make us do crazy things. Like, like fear, fear has the, the ability, that, like it, it does stuff on the inside that we don't manifest on the outside many times. I was talking to a friend recently who went on a date with a girl he met on social media. Listen, I got no problems with social media, none, no problems, as long as you be real on social media. And so with him, I was like, hey, man, how'd the date go? And he's like, ugh. I said, what do you mean, ugh? He said, well, she used a lot of filters, Ryan. I said, what do you mean she used a lot of filters? He goes, she didn't quite look in person like she looked like in the pictures. And I was like, oh, sucker. And so, but, but I understood that. And I understood that because some of the most downloaded paid apps, some of the most downloaded paid apps, and both app stores are things like Facetune, where you can filter how you look. We always want to filter how we appear, but you know what? We can't filter the inside. No matter how hard we try, we're not going to filter the inside. What's inside of us is eventually going to come out of us, I promise you, every time. What's inside will eventually come out. But we've been taught in the church world, when you come to church, have your stuff together. Put a smile on your face, have a song in your heart, and you tell everybody when they ask, hey, how you doing? Oh, I'm fine, which means frustrated, insecure, negative, and evasive. That's exactly what that means. And so if you told somebody you're fine this morning, see, 
we're looking at this situation, we're like, Elijah, what are you going to do, man? Like, you just called down fire from heaven. Like, you're going to let her talk to you like that? Like, like, nobody can match what you have done. Like, you are absolutely incredible. You're awesome. Like, just, just light her up. But watch what he does. Verse 3, Elijah was afraid and ran for his life, which doesn't make sense unless you know what fear does for you, to you. Fear will make you do and say things that you normally wouldn't say and do, right? For example, I'm terrified of mice. Many of you know this. And people ask all the time, why are you afraid of mice, Pastor? I don't know. I, I, I really don't. You're bigger than I get that. I understand. I know all of that, but I'm just terrified. Monday, um, I was coming in the front door over here, the front door that everybody usually uses when they come in here. Coming in the front door, walking in, and a mouse ran from that big rock towards the front door. I dropped my drink. I'm not really sure what came out of my mouth. Um, I'm sure it wasn't something godly. I'm sure it was a shriek. I turned around, and I ran back to my truck, and I jumped into my truck, and I'm in a cold sweat, and I looked around, and I made sure nobody was looking because I'm sure if anybody was looking, they were like, did he just get shot with a meth dart? Like, what happened to him? And for the rest of the day, for the rest of the day, I used these doors over here. Like, I walked all the way around. Like, I didn't even, like, go out those doors. That's what fear does to you, right? It, it, it makes us completely irrational, which is what happens to Elijah, this mighty, powerful prophet. Elijah, the Bible says, ran for his life. Now, what he does next is incredibly dangerous, when he came to Beersheba in Judah, he left his servant there while he himself went a day's journey into the wilderness. I did a survey a couple of years ago asking this question online to moms. Uh, Mother's Day was coming up, and so I asked this question. And by the way, men, would you listen to me? This is free. Mother's Day is four Sundays from today, so write this down, all right, so that way you don't even have to ask. Um, I asked moms, what's the best gift that somebody can get you for Mother's Day? Hands down, the number two answer wasn't even close to what was number one. The number one answer, anybody want to guess what it was? A day to myself. I just want a day. I just want a day. Just give me a day. Just one day where I don't have to hear, Mommy. Mommy, 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 mommy! I just want one day where I can walk the aisles of high V and be the one with the smile in every aisle. I just want to worship in Walmart for a few hours, right? And, and, and listen, there's nothing wrong with that. There's nothing wrong with getting in your car and driving down the road and playing music and singing at the top of your lungs where nobody can hear. Nothing wrong with that. So, solitude is refreshing. Sometimes it's great to just get alone and do that. I mean, solitude is, refre is refreshing, but isolation is destructive. Solitude is refreshing, but isolation is destructive. Listen to me, don't miss this. Satan cannot destroy you until he isolates you. Once he isolates you, you are a free game. Somebody on staff sent me this picture the other day. It's a perfect representation of this. Like th th this, whole, this whole idea, this whole thing of you can't do life alone, like that's not just a saying, that, that, that's true. Because when you feel alone, you'll make sure you're alone, right? That's exactly what Elijah did right here. He left his servant there while he himself went a day's journey into the wilderness, which that's the desert. He came to a broom bush, sat down under it, 
and prayed that he might die. Aren't you glad that God doesn't answer all your prayers? Aren't you? Now, I've met some people that literally told me, there's nothing in the Bible that I can relate to. Absolutely nothing. If that's your attitude, um, I want to prove you wrong right now. Because you've either said the next part of this verse out loud, or, or you've thought it, or you've just flat out said it to God. Look at this. I have had enough. I've had enough. I've had enough. This is not the weird guy. This is not the guy who has never seen anything great. This is the guy who prayed down fire from heaven. This is the guy who put out the fire with rain, one of the top miracles of all time. And this is not years later. This is one chapter later. One chapter later, him saying, I have had enough, Lord. Take my life. I am no better than my ancestors. Then he lay down under the bush and fell asleep. I just turned 47 years old last month. I've gotten to live a full life. Like, I've done some cool things. I've gone to some cool places. I've, I've gotten to go to some places I never thought I would go. Got to do some things I never thought that I would do. A couple summers ago, I got to go to Rome. I got to read the Book of Romans of the Mediterranean Sea. Like, it's just incredible. I've dove with great white sharks. I've got a great family. I've seen my kids do incredible things. I've got to meet some really awesome people. I can honestly say, if anything were to ever happen to me, I've lived a full life. But in saying that, there are still some things that I would like to do. There are still some experiences that I would like to have. Like, 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 like for example, one of these days, I'm going to own one of these. I, I just am. I just, I, I just am. And by the way, Pastor Appreciation Month is in October. So if you guys want to start the fun now, Get me going, that, that, that would be great. I want one of those. I want to know what it's like to drive a car this fast right here. Like I do. I want to know what it's like to do that. The fastest I've ever gone is 155 miles an hour. That's where I've been topped out at, 155, like 153, then going downhill, like I got to 155, and that was, that was great. That, that was it. But I want to know. Anybody else? Anybody else want to know what it feels like to drive a car that fast? Like I, I just want to know. Then I want to spend a week right here. Actually, I am. Tomorrow, I'm going to be right there in that exact place. Tomorrow, It's a work trip, though. i got to go do a wedding. But so, it's crazy. I know you're like, me too. <laughs> you know, that's, but I'm going to be there. There's some things I want to do in life, and I'm sure there are some things that you want to do too. All of us have things that we still want to do, things that we want to accomplish. But just like Elijah, sometimes we hit a wall. And this is how the cycle usually goes. It starts with fear, and every one of us understands fear. We, we, we deal with fear on a daily basis. There's, there's fear associated with our economy. There's fear associated with the stupid virus. There's, there's fear associated with what's going on in the White House. Like the, the media feeds on fear. We live in a fear-based society. But the problem is with fear, listen to me, if we don't deal with fear, it leads to anxiety. And, and here's the thing about anxiety. More than likely, some of you have been told, if you're a good Christian, you wouldn't deal with anxiety. Well, then what do you do with Elijah? Because if anybody's a good Christian, right? If anybody is a good Christian, I would say the guy who called down fire from heaven is in the top five. And then what do you do with Jesus? Really, what do you do with Jesus? Because see, when Jesus was in the Garden of Gethsemane, he, he looked at his, his disciples and he said, my soul is overwhelmed with sorrow. To the point of death. Well, Jesus, you just need to read your Bible more. He is the Word. 
What do you do? What do you do? I have a friend that has panic attacks all the time. I didn't understand panic attacks. He was having them, and I'm just like, I don't, I don't get it, man. I don't understand. I don't know why you're going through that. That doesn't make any sense to me. Why don't you just suck it up, blah, blah, blah. Then I had one. Those things are legit. Like, those things are real. Those things are scary. And there are people in this room that you deal with that, and you've been told, well, if you just have more faith. How do you have more faith than Elijah? How do you have more faith than Jesus? Like, how do you get to that level of faith? Seriously, tell me, because I really want to know. I need that. How do you get to that level of faith? Or maybe you've been told, if you're a real Christian and you had enough faith, you wouldn't need to take medication. You, you know, I'm not, I'm not as violent as I used to be. And there aren't a lot of people that I'd like to punch, but people who say that crap need to be punched in the throat and then told, if you really love Jesus, that wouldn't hurt. <laughs> Listen, anxiety is a real issue. Churches don't want to talk about it. We don't want to bring it up. Why don't you listen to me? If you're in this room, you're somebody who struggles with anxiety and you feel guilty about taking medication, let me ask you this question. If you had cancer, would you do chemo, yes or no? Yes. If there was something wrong with your liver and there was a pill to help your liver, would you take that pill, yes or no? Yes. And so if something is wrong with your brain, why not take some medication to help your brain? Listen, I do. So, sometimes. Sometimes I do. Sometimes I need balanced out. Well, you must not be that godly of a Christian, Pastor. You know what? You're right. I'm not. I'm not as godly as other people. But you know what? God can provide healing through medicine just like he can provide healing through prayer. Do you know that? Do you understand that? I hope you understand that, that God can provide healing through medication just like he can provide healing through prayer. Because, listen, this is the importance of this. If we don't deal with anxiety, it leads to depression. Now, when I say depression, I want to qualify this because there's a lot of people say they're depressed that, that they're not. It's overused sometimes. Like, it, 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 it's like, oh, the drive through at McDonald's was so long, and I had to pay $57.20 for the person behind me. A lot of people say they're depressed, but depressed is not, oh, I had a really, really, really tough day. Depression is not, oh, I wasn't really prepared for the test. Depressed is, I can't find a reason to get out of bed. Depressed is, I can't find a reason to leave my house. Depressed is, I can't find a reason to live one more day. Depressed is darkness. It's not a place that we want to be. But there are people in this room that deal with this on a daily basis. And we've been told, listen, You've been lied to. You've been told if you were a good Christian and you had more faith and you were filled with the Holy Spirit, you wouldn't have depression. But you know what? Depression does not discriminate. It, it, it doesn't. It's men and women, young and old, Christian and non-Christian. We can all deal with this. And the reason I think it's important to talk about is because if we don't deal with depression, it leads to self-harm and suicidal thoughts. That's where Elijah was. Now, I know what you're thinking. Ryan doesn't say a single thing about suicide in this text. Then explain why he went a day's journey into the desert by himself with no supplies and laid down. I'm going to argue he's trying to take his own life. I know what it's like to be there. Some of you know what it's like to be there. 
And it breaks my heart because I'm sick and tired of seeing people get to this place in churches not talking about it and making people feel like they're freaks and they're weird and God isn't on their side and he's left them and he's forsaken them and he doesn't want anything to do with them and he wants to leave them alone. I understand how it is, what it's like to get there and how you get there. I'm tired of people not talking about it. Now, I want to be very clear because people have asked this, and, and, and they, they mean well, and, and I get it and I understand, but it's, a, it's the typical Christian response that when people take their own lives, they go to hell. No, they don't. They don't. If you have a friend or a family member that's taking their own life, suicide does not send somebody to hell. Well, that's what my church told me. Your church lied to you. A relationship with Jesus Christ is a relationship with Jesus Christ, period. Relationship with Jesus Christ is a relationship with Jesus Christ. The only reason somebody goes to hell is because they do not know Jesus Christ. That's it. And listen, listen, listen. Don't miss this, don't miss this, don't miss this. This is probably the most important thing that I say to you this whole morning. To think that someone who knows Jesus will always make the right, wise, unselfish decision is a foolish thought. Now, I know what some of you are thinking. Don't tell people that because they're going to go out and take their own life. No, they're not. They're, they're not. Don't go to extremes. But this has to be talked about. It has to be talked about. Stuff like this right here has to be talked about. It has to be talked about because it's in the Scriptures. And if it's talked about in the Scriptures, it needs to be talked about in the church, Right? And so if you're here and you're anywhere on this spectrum right here, especially if you're dealing with anxiety or panic attacks or self-harm or suicidal thoughts or, or you're thinking about any of that, like, like, like this is what I want everybody to understand. God knows and God understands and God will meet you right where you are and he's not even mad at you about it. Because, because watch this. The Bible says all at once an angel touched him. Now for God the angel wouldn't have touched him. I'd have commanded the angel to kick him in the head and say, what's wrong with you, fool? Get, get up. What's wrong with you, man? Like, you need to have more faith. You just caught on fire from heaven. But you know what? God is full of compassion. God is full of mercy. God is slow to anger. He is abounding in love. That is why everybody should be glad that I am not God. And you should be glad you're not God, too. Because God told Elijah, the suffering servant, who's focused on dying, the Bible says all at once, an angel touched him and said, get up and read your Bible. Get up and be filled with the Spirit. It doesn't say that, does it? He's in the desert, starving to death, with no water, but God just meets him where he is. Hey, Elijah, get up and eat. Get up and eat, man. The whole fire, water, Jezebel thing, we'll deal with that later. I I'm going to meet you right where you are in your greatest moment of need, right here, right now. Get up and eat. And then verse 6, he looked around and there by his head was some bread baked over hot coals and a jar of water. I love this because in the Gospel of John, he says Jesus is the bread of life. Jesus is the living water. So this is like an encounter with Jesus right here. It's another message for another time, but that, that's exactly what's going on. He has this encounter. And watch what happens. He ate and drank and then laid down again because healing is a process. Healing takes time. I feel like we've talked about that here in this church before. Healing is a process. It takes time. We, we, we didn't get the weight on our shoulders overnight, but we want it to be gone immediately. And listen, sometimes God does that, and it's a miracle, and it's awesome, and it's great. But healing is usually a process that takes time. 
In verse 7, it says the angel of the Lord came back a second time and touched him. God's like, I'm being patient. I'm being really patient with you. Aren't you glad God is patient with us? I am. See, if you're dealing with those things, if you're dealing with the stuff on, 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 that, on that scale and that cycle, like God is not mad at you. God is not upset with you. God knows exactly where you are. And God has a plan for your life, and he loves you way too much to allow you to die in the desert under the broom bush. The angel of the Lord came back a second time and touched him and said, get up and eat, for the journey is too much for you. In other words, I still got plans for you, Elijah. But you can't do it by yourself. You can't do it on your own. So he got up, ate, and drank. Strengthened by the food, he traveled 40 days and 40 nights until he reached Orab, the mountain of God. Isn't it funny? Without God, he can only travel one day into the desert. But with God, he could go 40 Verse 9, there he went into a cave and spent the night, and the word of the Lord came to him. What are you doing here, Elijah? Because he went into the cave, and I'm sure he was feeling sorry for himself. Like, like some of us, we get into the cave, and it's like, finally, it's over. It's done. God, you can just, you can just take my life right now. I'm just, I'm just ready. I'm just ready to go. I'm ready for it to be over. And watch what happens. He replied, I've been very zealous for the Lord God Almighty. The Israelites have rejected your covenant, torn down your altars, and put your prophets to death with the sword. And then watch this. This is huge. I am the only one left. I'm the only one. I'm the only one. This is how the enemy gets us, right? This, this is how he got me. Hey, don't talk about what you're going through, Ryan, with anyone, because everybody will think you're weird. Everybody will think you're the freak at the church. Just put on your filter. Put on your smile. Use your Jesus word to tell everybody you're awesome, because they can't find out that the pastor is going through something. If you let on that you're struggling with anxiety or depression or having those thoughts that you have, oh my gosh, you're the only one. The only one. The only one that's ever dealt with that. See, that's the lie that the enemy tells us. You're the only one. The only one. Everybody's going to think you're weird. You talk to them. Everybody's going to think you're, and Elijah, one of the greatest men in the Bible, believed the lie. Not only did he believe the lie, he told the lie to God. I'm the only one. I'm the only one. I'll show you why that's not true in a second. I'm the only one left, and now they're trying to kill me too. And I love this, verse 11. The Lord said, go out, stand on the mountain in the presence of the Lord, for the Lord is about to pass by. Then a great and powerful wind tore the mountains apart and shattered the rocks before the Lord. But the Lord was not in the wind. You would expect the Lord to have been in the wind. God said, hey, go out there, and I'm going to move. I'm going to pass you by, and the wind is shattering everything. It's like, oh, he's here, but he wasn't there. After the wind, there was an earthquake, and that's where you expected God to move, right? Oh, the ground is shaking. He's rearranging things. This is going to be so awesome. But the Bible says the Lord was not in the earthquake. After the earthquake came a fire, and I'm sure at this point, Elijah's like, whoo sweet, fire. I know something about fire. Isn't it funny? Sometimes we'll see God moving away, and then we never see him move that way again. But because he moved that way one time, we expect it all the time. Isn't that crazy? So he sees the fire, and he's excited. But the Lord was not in the fire. And after the fire came a gentle whisper. When Elijah heard it, he pulled his cloak over his face and went out and stood at the mouth of the cave. Then a voice said to him, what are you doing here, Elijah? Sometimes we want God to be so loud, and he wants to speak in a still, small voice. And we just need to be quiet enough to listen to him speak. What are you doing here, Elijah? What are you doing 
In verse 14, look what he says. Elijah's like a one-hit wonder, man. He's just complaining back to God the same song over and over again. He replied, I've been very zealous for the Lord God Almighty. The Israelites have rejected your covenant, torn down your altars, and put your prophets to death with the sword. I am the only one. See that? Still believing the lie. I'm the only one. The only one dealing with anxiety. The only one dealing with depression. I'm the only one thinking about taking my own life. I'm the only one. I'm it. The only one left. Now they're trying to kill me too. The Lord said to him, go back the way you came. And this is beautiful. This is God going, hey, hey, Elijah, great, man. <laughs> Love the speech, dude. But I'm not finished with you yet. I'm not finished. So go back. Go back the way you came. and Go to the desert of Damascus. When you get there, anoint Hazel king over Aram. Also anoint Jehu, son of Nishma, king of Israel, or king over Israel. And anoint Elijah, son of Saphat, from Abel Mohala to succeed you as prophet. Notice God starts giving him specific direction when? After he got to a place where he could hear God speak in a still, small voice. And he told him to go back to a place. Don't miss this. Told him to go back to a place to connect with people. In other words, Elijah, I've got great work for you, but you can't do this alone. Then verse 17, Jehu will put to death any who escaped the sword of Hazel, and Elisha will put to death any who escaped the sword of Jehu. Watch this. This is so awesome. Yet I have reserved 7,000, 7,000, 7,000. How many? 7,000 in Israel, all whose knees have not bowed down to Baal and whose mouths have not kissed him. Two, two major things stick out in this passage. Number one, I still have incredible plans for your life, Elijah. And, and that isn't just for Elijah. It's for me and it's for you. God's going, I've got incredible plans for your life. If you're not dead, God's not done. If you're not dead, God's not done. You're wanting to maybe lay down in the desert under the broom bush and say it's over, but that's what the enemy wants you to think because the enemy wants to take you out. And the reason he wants to take you out is because he knows that God's got something great for you, something great and awesome that'll absolutely blow your mind if you simply won't give up, but look up, look up, look up, like we talked about last week. Look up, look up. I'm telling you, if you will just look up, God has greater plans for you than you could ever possibly imagine. He said it to Elijah, and I believe that's what he's saying to every single one of us here today. And number two, by the way, Elijah, just so you know, you're not the only one. You're not the only one. You think you're by yourself? I've got 7,000. 7,000 more that are in the same condition as you. And if you're here today and you deal with worry and fear and anxiety and depression and self-harm, even suicidal thoughts, you are not the only one. You're not. You know, I, I stood up here three weeks ago and I told you about my experience where I was convinced that I was the only one and the only way out was to take my own life. And God spoke to me and said, I'm not finished with you yet. I'm not finished with you yet. And after that message, I realized there are way more people in the same place. And the church needs to stand up and do something about it and speak about it. And today, you need to hear and you need to understand, don't walk the plank. 
God's not finished with you. You were created on purpose, with a purpose, and for a purpose. You need to let that purpose come alive inside of you and let it pour out of you. Don't let the enemy tell you that you're something that you're not. Listen to God. Hear his still, small voice and act big upon it. The girls are going to sing a song, and, and then Pastor Gary is going to come up, and he's going to close us out in prayer. And during this song, I, I don't want you to sing the song, but I want you to focus on the words of the song. I want you to hear this song. And you can read along, or you can just close your eyes, and, and, you, can, and you can listen. But I want you to focus on, on what it says, and I want you to focus on hearing the still, small voice of God and understand that you are not alone.